Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Okay, I have to. I think we'll just go straight into the show, Faye, because I haven't set things up to play our little dibby dibby. Okay, and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, <laughs> with another gardening show for you today. <laughs> and what I will say is Let's Talk Gardening is sponsored by Garden in a Bag, free delivery when buying six bags or more. Search Garden in a Bag. Yep, so that's that's a typical start for me, isn't it? <laughs> and Jill Flores has just rolled in. Jill is in the chair for Bev today. And, of course, hard taskmaster John Glidden is standing by. It was John's birthday yesterday. It was. I wonder how old he is. Mm, I was wondering that myself. Yeah, mm. so we'll have to extract that from him. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he doesn't mind if we all know. Well, on that note, Ray... I'd like to give a shout out to my mum who had her 87th birthday yesterday. That is a phenomenal innings. And to top it off, she had a happy birthday chat with her mum. Yeah, that's just incredible, mm. right? How many people at that age still have their parent? Mm. At, At 101, my grandmother is still going She's still going and she tells me she's found a partner to play drafts with every day and she's trying to keep up her reputation. She says she beats him nine out of ten times. So she's always looking for someone to play a game of Scrabble with. I yeah. do I do think she cheats a little bit just okay. between you and I. <laughs> um, but nobody's going to tell her off and she loves a game of Scrabble yeah. at 101 years old. Well, very I think, mindful. I think it's so important these these types of things are so good proven so good for the brain. You know, I mean, I do Wordle every day. Is that is that helpful? That is helpful. <laughs> look at look I'm at teasing. you. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I'm not a very good advertisement when certainly when it comes to memory. But uh, I think it's really important uh, that they are kept stimulated. I was watching something on Netflix the other night. I started to watch a series about where a fellow um, goes around the world and really investigates and goes delves into people who are living beyond. Uh, 100 years of age and their lifestyle and uh, we automatically assume it's food and food is a big part mm. of it but there's so many other aspects and when I've when it. I've looked at older ladies in particular mm. you know they they're just girls in older bodies you know yeah. their mind often doesn't change yeah. they're just like us and actually when we well. arrived <laughs> when we arrived to take mum out yesterday she was playing bingo so it sounds like my grandmother's got the spelling uh thing which mum used to have but mum's really a numbers person and she she won bingo and she won two freddo frogs so <laughs> they were gone in no time she's still got a bit of an appetite for sweet oh, things <laughs> oh my word mm. okay now there has been a crash uh, this is a report from Main Roads on Tonkin Highway, which is northbound at Brand Highway, Mushay. The right lane is blocked and emergency services are en route. Now, today, what are we up to, Faye? Well, we have got a great show lined up. We're mm-hmm. off to Kings Park to talk to Enid Graham, and she's the events coordinator. And they're celebrating 60 years of events. Can you believe that? That's kicking off 
uh, were kicked off yesterday with three weekends of lineups of activities, and the park itself is looking amazing, despite the treacherous weather oh, that we've had we in copped. the last week. Well, we we've had it. two days of it, haven't mm, we? Really? Yeah. Saturday, Saturday? No, it was must have been the week before. But Wednesday was a doozy. Oh, yeah. wasn't it just? Did you get the, a lot of damage? No, the oh, sky went dark, and I. Mm. I yes. said to Eddie, it's gone dark. Mm. So I went outside and started filming and uh, looked at where I wanted to be weeding that day. And then next minute the heavens opened and the wind came and all of the gutters around the veranda just leaked. Yeah. There was just water everywhere. everywhere. But it runs away quick and very yeah. few big branches down. Well, few, that's few of the banksias, but nothing on our mega trees. No, but we did lucky. have them cleaned up last year, so it's helpful. I th- yeah. I think so. It got rid of the bigger, older, deadish, um, you know, dangerous mm. ones. Mm. And all we had was like because I had to rake the lawn yesterday, the gum nuts that the red tail cockies have chewed and thrown down and the little ends of the branches so yeah they were they were worse than the storm okay they made more mess they did yeah Yeah, but we love having them yeah of course Mm. of course no it was a certainly i i was pretty lucky with damage i had one pot go over and break but i guess that is quite minimal in comparison to what wasn't a a big enough pot ray I think what it is, is it's become top heavy. And mm. I think once they get a bit top heavy, that's when you're in trouble. They yeah, act boom. like a sail. So yeah. the shape of the pot is very important. Yes, this was sort of that, um, oh, it was sort of round, but, you know, had the, but I suppose a little bit tulip shaped, you know. Okay. That. So anyway, I have to buy a new pot now. Mm. Damn. <laughs> Permission so, to go yeah, shopping. Exactly. Now I wanted to say thank you to Ellen Simons. He's always the best way to start the day, that boy. And Ellen was supported today by fellow gardening enthusiast Peter Kelly. So thank you both, boys. Uh, I hadn't forgotten you. Uh, very much appreciate all that you do. And, of course, not forgetting our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan, who he wrapped up recce just now, and he is returning at 10 a.m. with the classic 60s today. So uh, we look forward to that, and we thank Jill Flores from, for dropping in uh, just at the last minute uh, to give us... Give us some support and uh, what a little trooper. And she's this young, beautiful creature. What is she doing here at Curtin FM? That's what I want to know. Oh, she, what, she, hanging around with us uh, old yeah, girls exactly. in. Oh, young girls in old bodies. Yeah, yeah, that's us. Yeah, yeah. she's just gorgeous. And she's she's like minded Every week. She, you know what? She loves the genre. She loves the music. Mm. A lot of young people do. Mm. But I'm just amazed that here's this young girl who volunteers her time on a Saturday. A lot of people her age wouldn't do that. Well, she's a married she's woman a bit, now, right? She is, but I don't think that slowed her down any. Um, yeah, she's <laughs> And special. she's a dancer too. She's, she's a salsa dancer. Yeah, love her. So we're chatting with... Uh, also, oh no, actually he's coming into the studio, pardon me, John Visca. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, John was a TAFE lecturer of mine many moons ago. Right. He is a rose fanatic, particularly heritage roses, and he's just been involved in putting a book together for the Garden History Society. And when I was chatting with John recently, what is really interesting is what he talks about in this book is how gardens were back when colonisation started, the plants that were brought in, how they survived. And it's not going to be a lot different from what we're 
moving forward into again, Ray, where, you know, over the last 20, 30, 40 years, irrigation systems have evolved to go from fence to fence in a yard. Mm. Back in the day we were growing up, we probably had things like tractor sprinklers. Exactly. Uh, and prior to that, there was really nothing mm. other than hand water. And, of course, water has always been a precious commodity. But back in the older days, if, if it didn't survive, well, mm. it just didn't survive. Mm. So I think in some ways we can actually learn a lot about how to future-proof our gardens by looking back at what some of the things that were established in the early days mm. and the old gardens around Perth. So John will be talking more about that, but I, I just found it very interesting how history can repeat itself. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he will be in the studio from 20 to 9. He will be joining us. And, of course, 20 past 9, we are chatting with Enid Graham from King's Park. Of course, it's their everlasting festival that kicked off yesterday. And uh, that will be wonderful chat. And uh, it, and I, I can say um, on air now that I have resigned from my day job. I'm still doing the gardening show, but I have resigned. I am going to be a free lady and uh, <laughs> live recklessly. And you said, <laughs> live re absolutely. I've got a bit of catching up, and making mm. up to do, and I will be able just to go and do more garden wise, which is what I really want to do with my time. Yeah, so I get very envious of pe people that can just go off during midweek and do something, and I want to be in that. Be careful not to fill your calendar up, Ray, because it's very, it's very easy, it's very to, do. easy to do. Yes, thinking, oh, I've got all this time, I can do this, this, and this. I so I want a bit I, of time at home I, and doing things I need to do. My I, God, I've got I a lot. recommend putting a line through one day in your week, and that's your, your day. home day. Yeah. Because you know maintenance. I know just a sweep and a. I know tidy. people. What I think people go, oh, um, she's available, mm. and it, I've had invites to all sorts of things, you know, on a regular basis and things I want to actually do. I may take up golf again, but, I, yeah, if you're not careful, suddenly you're... Mm. Uh, you would have never been busier. Exactly. Mm. And uh, for the interim anyway, I just want to catch my breath. I want a little bit of time to chill and defry my brain. Well, I, I want to congratulate you because I think it's a brave move and I think, sure is. think everybody should do what they love. Because you know, a lot of people saying you're too young to retire. Well, no, I'm not. And if I get bored, and I doubt that seriously in a year's time, and I want some pocket money to support my plant habits, mm. that's my only concern is my plant habits. Hey, if you want any budget tips, come and see me. Well, you're the budget lady. <laughs> I'm the opposite. And I'm the spend first. And you, you know how to make a dollar go a long way. Well, I try. I tell you what, I used to make $5 of petrol go a long way, but... How on, earth, how on earth could you do that, though? Well, how you, could you economise on fuel? You've got to do what you, you've got to you're do. You're using your tools. Like $5 worth of of fuel would, would have got me a five-litre tin and that would fill up my um, rotary mower mm -hmm. and, well, the blower vac because I think I had a petrol blower vac. And by the time you've used up, that five dollars worth of fuel you've mowed all the lawns all the driveways are clean and you stand back and the place looks a million dollars for five dollars and a couple of hours effort see i thought you were talking about cars i thought you were talking uh, about putting five dollars into your tank and making that go a long way and i thought well this you know, i have to hear you mm. ha you only get about two <laughs> liters for your five dollars mm. but 
how you make that go further is you you don't just pop to the shops for this and that. You use what you've yeah. got on hand. Yeah. I don't waste time going to the shops. For one item? No, mm. not at all. Mm. I I only go to the shops when I have to. And right at the moment I'm saying, Faye, use up what you've got because, you know, there's a shed of stuff, there's a pantry and a freezer of stuff. Let's use what we've got before we get in the car and go and buy more. Let's be smarter. And I can use that hour in the garden to, yeah, you know, thrash out a, a whole garden bed. And the thing mm. is at the moment what I am pleased about with all the heavy lifting I've done is that most of the weeds I've got out have not seeded yet. Yeah, that's very so, important. you know, yeah. I've been going for gold, head down, bum up yeah. and get stuck into it. I, I was shattered by lunchtime at one thirty on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> but I sat down, had a break, and then I went back, looked at what I'd done and thought, I'll just do that bit more, that bit more, and a rake and a blow. And, you know, I can... You could see I where can, you had been and, and it's satisfying, right? And what I need to do next is, like, manage the weeds in the pathway. With the hot weather, they're sort of... They're in two minds about whether they're going to die off or hang in, hang in there. Mm. And with the rain, they're hanging in there. So mm. I'll have to give them a blitz. A mm. couple of weeks, they'll be dead. So by the time we get to our events... Yes, and of course, a lot of this build-up is around, well, not only do you have to do what you're doing in your garden, but we have a high tea coming up on the 8th of October for Curtin FM listeners who donated to Radiothon and for this event particular. So we're looking forward to that. We and, are. Uh, we're plotting away. Yes. And uh, you've also got other things coming up that week. Well, I'm I'm having a birthday, so I've said yeah. to Eddie, I want the garden looking really Schmicko. good by the end of September. I've given him a deadline. And, well, what's um, Eddie got to do with it? What's, well, he said, actually, Faye, it would be cheaper if you just donated the money to Radiothon. <laughs> but, see, I use it as a target. We've got the gutters to clean. I we've know, got windows. Know, we've got... I want my women's shed a little bit more schmicko mm. and I've got magnetic bars with collections of drills and uh, pincers and, you know, I want that all displayed like a men's shed. <laughs> so he's got screwing and drilling to do. I've oh, got a hose reel to put on the wall. He doesn't want to do that because he thinks it's going to hurt the bricks. Like, mm, you know, the no. house is going to fall down before no. I leave. Yeah. We'll just live in treehouse. Be Tree. happy with that. I reckon you would be. And I've got more news, Ray. Can I quickly tell you? Go. So this week, folks, we talk about our threatened Banksia ecological communities. Yeah. And I'm aiming to have 1,000 reasons why our property should be kept. I'm at 897 out of 1,000. This week... Uh, the grand spider orchid appeared in our bushland along with a spider orchid that I have never before seen there and to my knowledge hasn't been found in the area and that is a gorgeous, dainty, uh, lemon-coloured orchid, mm -hmm. Caledonia denticulata. On top of that, I, um, well, in weeding, I disturbed a lizard and I thought, that looks different. I haven't seen this dark coloured lizard with what looks like silver stripes running parallel on its body. So I got some photos, put them up on iNaturalist and this actually is a lizard 
that is endangered. Mm-hmm. And I learnt about it when I was researching about the, the surf park going in and the land to be cleared. So it's on the radar as a rare lizard. And um, it's turned up at our property. There's only four sightings on iNaturalist. So and that is it, incredible. It's, yeah. And it's just another reason why these properties should not be, as we were saying off air, the bushes yeah. should be left alone. Okay, when we return, we're chatting to Enid Graham from Kings Park. Curtain Radio in You're listening to Curtain FM's Let's Talk Gardening show with Ray and Faye. And we're going straight out to Kings Park and having a chat this morning with Enid Graham. Good morning, Enid. How are you? Good morning. I am well. How are you? We're really going super duper. Uh, We're always happy when we're doing the gardening show, Enid. We're always in our element. This is our happy place. Yeah. And I'm always happy when we have the festival on at Kings Park. Oh, I bet. I bet. that place is just um, cranking, isn't it? Yeah. I was up there oh, a couple absolutely. of weeks ago. <laughs> oh, it's in full bloom. I hope, and I bet the the weather hasn't dampened anyone's spirits. I bet they're out there with their brollies. Absolutely. Everyone's out with their raincoats, brollies. It's all happening in King Park. Oh, so tell us what what is on the schedule, Enid? So we have the Everlasting Kings Park Festival the 60th year of the festival this year so it's a pretty special one for us um the festival's running from today up until sunday the 1st of october um and we have so many free and wonderful events um to cater for everyone's needs um yeah i know that they one of the things on offer is the wonderful guided walks by the botanic guides how do people um, get involved in that do they have to book ahead for the specialist uh, walks they will need to book but there are walks daily walks on every day um, which you can just turn up for um, and no bookings are required so um, what time volunteer guides run those walks and it they're just incredible and so knowledgeable. So what time do, do they kick off? So the guided walks are 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Okay, daily. all right. And it's it's a wonderful place to see Kings Park in the morning, but when I was up there, if you weren't there by half past nine, quarter to ten, you were lucky to get a, a spot to park. Where is parking easily available for people? Um, there are several places they can park. Uh, I think the Wajak car park is the one that sort of gets full very fast. But there's parking available along um, Lovekin Drive, um, May Drive. Uh, there is there is plenty of parking available. Um, so don't don't let that. Get your way. And of course, once you park, uh, you, you're treated to a, a walk in nature along any of the connecting pathways. Yeah, walks, it's just, walk, yeah. exactly. And, and um, I'll go sorry, ahead. I was just going to say, um, one of the new features of this year's festival is we have the Water Corporation Waterwise Gardening Hub, and this is something that we haven't done before. And it is running for the entirety of the festival uh, where we have a water-wise gardening information 
as well as these incredible uh, gardening containers um, on display, which have different themes to them, such as uh, bush tucker or um, native gardens for beginners, um, how to create a garden on a hot balcony um, and coastal gardens. So things like that. Um, and we have our horticulturalist team uh, set up at the, the Royal Corp Waterwise Gardening Hub um, to answer any of your gardening questions. So is that like a marquee? It's a big marquee. Okay. Um, it's along the short vista, just along uh, Lovekin Drive. Um, and we are having uh, presenters on the weekends of the festival and they're presenting free uh, talks at 11am and 1pm on Saturdays and Sundays of the festival. And these talks are about different water-wise gardening themes. Um, and we're having uh, stalls from uh, the BGPA, Watercorp, Perth NRM uh, in the marquee and there'll be information about mm. those from on the weekend and our horticulturalists will be available during the weekdays at the marquee. As well. okay. So I guess um, going to the website there'll be a, a list of the programs Absolutely. Everything's available on the website. And if you're in Kings Park, we've got a big calendar uh, that shows all the events as well. So I see the theme. There's a theme, Reflect and Protect, yes. and what it means for the future of our biodiversity. So what? tell us about that, please, Enid. So being the 60th year of the festival, we wanted to to look back at where we've come from and where we need to be and how important the biodiversity and biosecurity, which is quite an issue now, Kings Park, um, how we are going to protect our, our wonderful and incredibly unique park for the future. So that's what we are focusing on and we're trying to really emphasise the importance of that throughout this year's festival. And I I heard a stat statistic that said 300,000 people were expected to uh, visit the park. So I guess there's no greater way to showcase uh, our biodiversity than to, to open it up to members of the public and tourists to see what we've got. And that's what interests me, you know, Enid, that people come from other places in the world yeah. to see mm. what we have and yet so much of it here is just, you know, not valued. Taken Absolutely. for granted. And taken away. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is one way we can really show people, you know, this is this is important and it, it's important but it's also beautiful and incredible and very, very special and we, we need to do what we can to mm. ensure it. it it continues. Well, what you guys are doing up there is fantastic. And, and education. Yeah, for, I was just going to say the education for, aspect is. For the staff, the showcase, 
you know, and it's right on the city's doorstep. It is so easy to get to. Spectacular day Mm. out. You've got cafes, you've got every reason for people to stay for the day. And they've still got natural bush up there. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's just amazing with donkey orchids and pink fairy orchids popping up everywhere. And we've actually got a a very special crocheted arch, so a very different type of flower. Yeah. Um, We've we've had a community project this year at the festival. Yeah, I love that. Um, So members of the community have all submitted their crocheted flowers, and we've put it together in this beautiful arch, which is just outside of the Aspects shop. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favourite shops, yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, so we've got this beautiful arch of crocheted flowers and it looks absolutely incredible. So I would recommend popping over there and, and taking a photo with exactly. the arch. Yeah. Um, it's just looking stunning. And your light, light show was spectacular this year. and, oh, and lightscape was incredible. And we can well. expect another next year. Yes, we can. How exciting. Coming back. And another way, yet again, to showcase Kings Park. Exactly. Yeah, it was exactly. just absolutely wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Light. <laughs> yeah, puts, yes, that's a very clever line, doesn't it? It puts Kings Park in a very different light. It indeed. does, indeed. Well, young lady, we'll let you get back to your weekend. Thank you very much Thank for you. the information. As always, we Thank encourage you so much. everyone, including ourselves, to get along and partake. This is a special time of the year to be at Kings Park Botanic Gardens. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Enid. Take care, love. Cheers for now. Okay, bye. And that was Enid Graham. She's the events coordinator at Kings Park and Botanic Gardens. What a sweet girl. Well, what There's I was going to say, there, Ray, is... You know, there's so many times of the day to see Kings Park because it is very busy in the morning. People flock up there for before 10 o'clock and it is yeah. it is busy, but it can manage the crowds. But going later in the day when the sun is setting, because our perfect, days are getting longer. Yeah, it's a perfect time to it, be there. It really is. And you can hang out up there until after the traffic's gone, gone. and mm. it's just beautiful later in the day. Yeah, and while mm. away that, that time. Okay. Get ready for the Parry's Ultimate Spring Cleaning Sale. Enjoy massive savings on a wide range of flooring options, including carpet, hybrid, laminates and vinyls. Download their new Bella Spring magazine at parryscarpets.com.au. With free installation and free underlay, Parry's have got you covered. T's and C's apply. Parry's now have eight convenient locations. So... If you're thinking flooring, think Parry's. See website for details. Station sponsor. We could certainly encourage some calls to come in if we ever stop talking. That is nine four eight four one nine two seven. Give Jill a call now. And Faye, you've got a couple of emails. I I do. This one has come in from Teresa, and she lives in a unit in Riverton and has a small garden. It gets um, no sun in winter and very hot in summer. She has pots and tried to get them in the winter sun in spite of the high fence which blocks the early sun attached is an example of some damage that's occurring in in her little garden she's frustrated and annoyed that when she's trying to do her best with the plants you know they're not looking their best and she doesn't like to use sprays but sometimes she thinks she needs to the pictures that have come through have not come through very big 
Teresa. But, you know, the the thing that I see here, there's a devil's eye, ivy or pothoff, pothos. Mm. Now, they're very leafy plants and you would not be the only one in winter whose plants are not looking that great. That's right. If it's also in a wind tunnel, it'll be getting knocked around. And we've had some treacherous weather in the last couple of weeks. Mm. So leaves will get damaged and they won't recover straight away. But now is the time to start thinking forward. If you were planning and wanted to add different plants, go for tougher plants, plants that will withstand 40 degree heat and winds. And there's a lot of tough plants around there. You know, I do this in my garden fairly regularly. Go around and look at what is performing. And I often talk about things that fly under the radar that just hold their space in the garden and look good regardless of the time of year. Now, one of the plants I'm having a great deal of success with is arthropodiums or rock lilies, and they have got a silvery leaf. They will do well in in shade. They will take some sun, but they could burn. burn. However, Mm. if you think about growing a canopy, and it might be a canopy that drops its leaves in winter, you can let in whatever winter sun is there. So something like a frangipani or um, some of your flowering plums. And, you know, you just go out to the nurseries now and see what's flowering. If you haven't got room in the ground, you can put it in a lovely pot. So you create this umbrella Canopy, effect yeah, for summer to mm. cope with that summer. You'll get the fragrance mm. and colour of mm. frangipanis. So that could be a good way of doing rethinking. You really have to work with an area like that where you get Mm. full sun in summer and no sun in winter. So you've really got to rework it, don't you? And And as you say, think cleverly. And nursery visits when it's freezing cold Mm. and when it's hot and windy. Mm. Go and see what's in, in the nurseries and what's looking good because that's when you'll find plants that will suit those extremes. The, uh, there's an old toughy flowering beautifully at the moment, the Raphiolepsis or oh, Indian Hawthorn. Yes. yes. Yeah. Now, there's a toughy that will take everything, and uh, it looks spectacular at the moment. And for the rest of the year, it's just a very very strong, healthy shrub. don't think much bothers it. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, working, thinking about how to work, looking at what the problems are. Yeah. So not having plants that are you know, not up to the task. And does she have a bit of insect damage there? Uh, Possibly, but, you know, Ray, because we're going through winter, Mm. a lot of things are looking tatty. Oh, definitely. You should see some of my So I wouldn't pay it too, too much attention. There is a Kalanchoe here. Yes, it's been eaten, so there could be snails or caterpillars. We know that the woolly bears are out at the moment. Mm -hmm. I heard this week that they're food for the booble cow. So, oh, you is know, that right? Is that right? so that I just, I look at them differently now. I look at them and think maybe my booble cow will get you, you know, mm-hmm. instead of going, oh, you horrid thing, you know, I want to squash you. Mm. Be mindful of the role in, in the cycle. But Kalanchoe's, you could trim them back, get rid of the dead, daggy, diseased, bitten leaves and give it a feed and encourage some new growth because with the sunshine that's coming, you get new growth on things and it, it overcomes, it outshadows mm. what has happened for the last three months in the garden. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my advice. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's go to Medina. We're talking about avocado. Sue, good morning. Good morning. 
How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I have an avocado tree. It's been in the ground about six and a half years now. It's quite big. Excuse me, Sue, can I just interrupt you to ask if you've got your radio on there? Oh, I'll turn it off. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Sorry. So avocado um, that's been in six and a half years, yes? Yeah, it's the first time it's flowered and do I feed it or don't I feed it or what do I do? Okay, it's in the ground? It's in the ground, yeah, and it's really, really tall. Okay, do you know what variety it is? It's a half. Okay, yep, good, good. Um, keep Keep it growing well. Make sure that its roots are protected. So we we like mulch because avocados have a fibrous root system very close to the surface. So you want to protect those roots. And any leaves that it drops, leave leave them there because that helps to feed the soil. Oh, okay. um, you could use something like a, a clay and compost added and then a thicker mulch over the top, whether it be a straw mulch or a chunky wood chip mulch, yeah, um, that will protect the roots and it will give the the plant some food. Also, there is a, a specialist fertilizer for avocados um, that you can get and follow the instructions on on the pack. But I tend to fertilize my fruit trees at their growing time, so when they're starting to put on new growth around spring. And often yep. around autumn as well. In summertime, you need to keep the moisture up to them. Um, yep. And just, yeah, something that feeds the soil. And like for the last few weeks, I've been talking about adding a palletized chicken manure because it's cheap, it goes a long way, and it'll water into the soil and help build the soil now. Yep. Um, and it stinks. So the smell will go. You don't kind of want to be putting it around in hot weather where it's dry and you then have to add water. You let the rains do it. Yep. So, yeah, little and often you can give it a liquid if you want, um, something with lots of trace elements. And I like a controlled release fertiliser, spring and autumn, something that will go for a few months. Yeah, I just wasn't sure because I've never had one before. Mm. (laughs) I'm hoping we're going to get a good crop. looks like it, but, you know. Oh, good luck. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye for now. Thank Thanks, you. Sue. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. Okay, we're going to have a short break. And Terry, we're aware of your call. We will be with you after this. Curtain Radio. And we are back. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. And John Visca has joined us in the studio. Now, John is Australian Gardens History Society Horticultural Lecturer. That's a mouthful. Plant historian, author, and so much more. Welcome, and thank you for coming in. Thank you very much. For have- Lovely to have you here, John. Thank you, Faye. All right. Now, we will come back to you. We do have a very patient Terry online. How are you, Terry? No, we don't. Violet. Try Violet. Oh, good morning, ladies okay. and everyone. Yeah, Terry thank has you. dropped out. So, Terry, give us a call back, and we'll put you straight to air, Squire. Sorry that you had to wait. Um, go ahead, Violet. Sorry about that. Thank you. Um, It's just about a small lemon tree that I put into the garden about 18 months ago from a pot and it doesn't seem to be doing anything. At the moment it's got tiny little flowers on and it's trying to produce fruit 
but the actual plant itself has not grown at all. In fact, it's got hardly any leaves on it. And I was wondering whether, do you think it should be dug up and maybe turfed out or what? What did you prepare the soil with, Violet? Uh, to be quite honest, I think I probably just dug a hole and plonked it in there. Right, that's, that, that's probably your answer. <laughs> so, yes, maybe you could dig it up and um, prepare a soil because that's that's the best chance you've got for yeah. establishing any fruit trees and you want them to to give you an abundance of fruit. So you've got to give them something to feed and yeah. encourage them. You want to encourage good, healthy growth and a strong root system. So dig yeah. up as much of the root ball as you can. By the sound of it, yeah. there's not much there. No. Um, <laughs> you could then widen the hole and add... Um, you could add anything like compost or soil conditioner and blend it with the sand that you've got. Um, Malu, you've really got sand. So do your best. Yes. You can add animal manures. You could put some slow-release fertiliser in there and yes. keep the moisture up to it, mulch it well and keep it well watered over summer, even drinks of um, fish or seaweed, oh, yes. concentrate yep. watered down will help it. Uh, and probably even consider taking off your flowers and establishing that tree. Okay. Oh, that sounds great. Yep, I'll do that then. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. For, thank you for your help. All right. Bye, Good Violet. On you. Good on you, Violet. Bye-bye. Okay. So, John, you've been a busy boy. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Tell us all about it. Um, well, many years ago, our group, the WA branch of the Australian Garden History Society, <clears throat> thought it was time to have an exhibition on historic gardens. Yeah. Uh, and we approached the city of Perth and uh, we applied for an arts grant mm -hmm. and they said no problems, but what does the city get out of it? So we mm -hmm. thought we would call it the Historic Gardens of Perth <clears throat> and concentrate on gardens yeah. in the city. Um, and that's how it all came about. And we had a lovely exhibition a two, a 2011 in the undercroft of the Perth City Town Hall mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it ran for about 11 days. Then we had a second exhibition in 2018 and we, we thought we'd now concentrate on the western suburbs from the town of Cambridge right down to Mosman Park yeah. and we call that Historic Gardens of Perth Western Suburbs. Anyway, yeah. we had two exhibitions, that was good and in 2020 to celebrate out the 40 years that our Garden History Society had been established our national body contacted the branch and said, think of a project that to celebrate uh, 40 years and we could uh, get some grant money. So we thought, let's put all our exhibition, which were panels, into a, a, a publication. So that's how it came about. And officially, last Monday, it was launched by the um, uh, mayor of the city of um, Perth, Basil Zemplis, yeah, yes. and so that was the official launch of the book, and about 65 people came to the City of Perth Library, so the book now is officially out there. Okay, brilliant, and that's <coughs> it there, right there in your hot little hand. Yeah. Great size coffee table book. I like the fact that it has a soft cover rather than the hard cover, and where can people get this baby? Well, at this stage, um, we're marketing it ourselves, Okay, but... On our national website, mm. the Garden History Society, you can actually uh, order it and purchase it as well. We all need it, don't we? 
It's all. Well, it's just so much part of her. So, what what is in here, John? Like, oh, there's the the Peace Memorial Rose Garden in Netherlands. So, mm, lots of photos. So, our approach was um, to look at the historical periods of Perth. So it's called uh, Historic Gardens of Perth, mm. European Settlement to Modernism. So we start with the first settlers. Love it. And we give a historical overview yeah. of what was happening at that time. And then the gardens are almost in a chronological order. There's mm. over 40 gardens described. So we start off with Government House, mm. which is the oldest garden, mm. still uh, operating as a garden yeah. in, the, in the area. And... We also have part of the chapter of what was the garden look like? What was the style? What were the paths made from? What plants would have been used at that period? So it's a historical approach as well as just looking at um, different gardens. And how things have evolved as well. Exactly right. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, one person went through it and said, gee, a lot of these gardens don't exist anymore. You you could have almost called it the Lost Gardens of Perth because yeah. that's in reality. Yeah. And this is the first book to concentrate on the history of gardens in WA. Yeah, no, I think we all need this one in our collection, absolutely. And the Government House Gardens, of course, have been open to the public in recent times haven't they yes. i know i i went a couple of years ago maybe it was before covid now yeah yes i think on a regular basis it's open uh, possibly one day a week and the history of that and we start with that one in the book in the first period yeah. it goes right back to uh, when james drummond established the government garden at the very beginning of colonization here to grow plants to see if they would actually grow well in the colony so it's, it's historically very important. And then successive different people w with different um, layouts of the gardens. The, this photo, this photo of Hyde Park interests me because my grandfather was an artist and he painted my auntie standing in that position. Oh, and it was, it was one of the treasures that I found when we were cleaning okay. out Mum and Dad's place. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, mm. you talk about Hyde Park. Most people don't realise that there was a three-tiered fountain in the park from 1900 to about 19, uh, just before 1920. It was donated by Brookman, who was running to be the mayor of, of the city of Perth, and that three-tiered fountain, which was over three metres high, with a statue at the top. What, and what, where, what happened to it? Well, because it sat in an octagonal basin of water, yeah. and, and it was made of cement uh, construction, mm -hmm. eventually, as oh. the water was absorbed, and it had strengthening with iron pipes, oh. We call it a, what, concrete cancer today, yeah. but eventually it had deteriorated to the point that it couldn't be replaced. But it was unique for Perth because it was really the only fountain in a public place. So that's illustrated in the in book, her, oh. and that's the type of book that it is with interesting historical a photographs. A lot of nostalgia, huh? Mm, yes. Yeah, for people. Mm. Mm. Oh, I look forward to getting my little hot little yeah. hands on that. All right, we shall return. Curtain Radio. And we're back. Special guest in the studio with us this morning, John Visca, and we're talking about 
this magnificent publication, Historic Gardens of Perth. Now, we will be going to the news at 9am. We've got a couple of calls to get through. Uh, Main Roads rang in and said there is a breakdown in on Mitchell Freeway, southbound, prior to Whitford's Avenue, Woodvale. The left lane is blocked and there is a motorist out of their vehicle. Traffic slow on approach, so proceed with caution. Yes, do be careful around that area once people start hopping out of their vehicles and I, things like that. I hope we're wrong. not distracting the people driving their cars, Ray. This could be a point, Faye. Yeah, why haven't I thought of like, that? Like, if you're driving your car, please, yeah, concentrate Listening on to the Let's road. Talk gardening. <laughs> All right, let's go to Hamilton Hill, the other side of Perth. Sharon, good morning. Hello. Hi. Morning, Sharon. Morning. How can we help um, you? Thank you. Um, so I bought a house last year which had this um, pomegranate tree in the in the small garden that I have. It had no leaves on and I thought about taking it out because it looked so ugly and then it grew leaves and then it grew pomegranates and it's beautiful. Um, so I will keep it. However, um, the pomegranates were great to start off with but as the season went on, more and more were affected by fruit flies. So I'm wanting to know what's the best thing I can do uh, this season to keep away the fruit fly. All right. Keep your tree to a manageable size. So prune it to just something that you can get a fruit fly net over. You can also yeah. make your own baits and hang in the tree. You need to replace them regularly. You can also get um, something, I'm pretty sure it's called Trap from your hardware and nursery stores. And that's a commercial fruit fly bait. Uh, mix that up and we have a sponsor on air right now promoting yeah fruit yeah fly. so the call yeah. yes there was an advert but I didn't catch it all so mm-hmm. so can you give that information Ray I can give it to you off air Sharon so what we'll do is we'll put okay. you back to Jill and then we'll pass the information on to you how does that sound yeah that sounds great uh, yeah the, the three th- the key things are baits traps and barriers Mm. and if you do that and if you're netting it tie it in around the trunk of the tree because fruit fly larvae go to the soil and emerge from the soil so don't have your net just draped down and to the ground because they'll proliferate okay Okay? so it's a net when you say barriers that's the the option there is a net yes that's correct yeah yeah okay all All right right. thank you okay Okay, i'll pop you back to jill sharon can I just add something here? Yeah. Pomegranates were grown in early colonial gardens in Perth. Uh, it's not a, a, a latecomer. And one of the gardens we discuss is Alpha Cottage that was uh, in St George's Terrace. And on a very interesting watercolour plan that was done in the 1840s, he actually writes pomegranate. So they were early colonial plants, very tough, very hardy Hmm. and long-lived. Well, you know, growing up, I remember eating pomegranates. Mm -hmm. Have the varieties gotten better or have they... Because I just remember they were nice, but of recent years, I haven't been overly impressed with them. Well, possibly. There's certainly probably more varieties around. But it's interesting. You get miniature ones. Yeah, I've got one. And if you don't want the fruits, there's a lovely ornamental one with a double flower that almost looks like a carnation. Wow. Um, And I'm actually growing one now that is one with a variegation around the edge. And it's another one of those Victorian ornamental uh, pomegranates. No problems with fruit fly, of course, because they are sterile. Yeah.
Perfect. I'm going to give something away. A good idea, right? I think so, leading up to the news. Let me see. Who shall I choose from? Okay. We're going with Paul and Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. With a motto of delivering a greener garden and philosophy founded in permaculture, Green Life Soil Co. promote biodiversity and sustainability. I do recommend the Green Life Soil Co. monthly newsletter because it has heaps of simple information, which is very, very timely. It's free. So all you have to do is register online to become a member. You go to greenlifesoil.com.au, greenlifesoil.com.au. And so you are wondering how you could spend your $75 gift voucher at Green Life Soil, aren't you? Well, well, well. Green Life Soil Co. have a full range of garden products. And the best part is that it is all in one place, under one roof, and they provide a delivery service as well. So Green Life Soil Co. delivering a greener garden. You must be a Curtin FM member to play with us this morning and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Here is John's Curly. It's a true or false. The Victor Rotary Mower, the Victor Rotary Motor Mower was invented in the 1930s. True or false? The Victor Rotary Motor Mower was invented in the 1930s. Give Jill a call now and that $75 gift voucher to Green Life Soil Co. could be yours, 94841927. And we'll be going to the news in about one minute. Well, that's interesting about the mower. I I have no idea. John, what can you tell us about historic garden tools? Um, I actually think it's probably a little bit later on. Uh, but once again, the very early uh, lawn mowers were the cylinder ones. Yes. And a bit of research that we were doing on a historic garden. I, I remember one in the late 19th, early 20th century that were being auctioned as part of some of the implements, garden implements, that were for the deanery. So it tells mm. that they must have had a lawn and probably more than likely it would have been for playing croquet, which was very much part of, of a, a garden of that period, a croquet. That era, or, how yeah. fascinating. And what would have been the lawn? Oh, well, the lawn actually was cooch. Mm. And we, we detest cooch today, but because it could stand the heat in Perth, um, that was the first um, grass that was actually used. Then buffalo, late 19th century, and then kaikuya, around about the 1920s. But cooch was planted everywhere uh, because it was such a tough grass. And, of course, that comes from hotter climates um, out of um, um, Australia itself. Even Hyde Park, they would plant every couple of years another couple of acres of cooch. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, amazing. All right, guys, nine o'clock news. Here it comes. 17 point zero degrees, 17 degrees at the moment, 85% humidity, heading for a partly cloudy day with a maximum of 22. Overnight, the minimum will drop down to 11 with a maximum of 20 tomorrow. It will be mostly sunny, which I think is a huge relief for our Curtain Radio car spectacular that is on tomorrow. I know that they would have been watching the weather for weeks, actually, keeping their fingers crossed. Imagine if they'd had a day like Wednesday. It would have been terrible. So very, very lucky. It's going to be a mild day tomorrow, mostly sunny, perfect day to be out and about. And pleasant, not too hot. You know, 20 is perfect. Okay, sorry, I, I, I digress. If you're looking ahead to Monday, the minimum overnight will be nine and a maximum 
on Monday of 20. It will be partly cloudy. And as I mentioned in our 8 o'clock weather bulletin, we are sitting on 43.8 mils of rain so far for September. But we've got a few weeks to go, the average being 81.8. Now, we do have a winner for our Green Life Soil Co. $75 voucher, Kevin from Bennett Springs. Very clever of you, Kevin. I don't. I think we stumped a few people because normally the phones light up. I think people had to. That is one that you'd probably have to have a little bit of a Google, mm. unless you're a, a historian or something, or just happen to know the facts. And the question was true or false. The Victor Rotary motor mower was invented in the 1930s. False. Mervyn Victor Richardson invented it in the 1950s. He started the Victor Company in 1952. Oh, John, you were right. Thank you. Of course he was. Now, on the note of the Curtain Car Show, it kicks off tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And I need all my dancing friends to know that the music is great and they have a dance floor. So it's going to be positioned outside the Curtain FM broadcasting van. And Faye will be kicking up her heels on it. I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock. And yeah. Eddie's foot has recovered, so he will be back on Poor the dance Sod floor. Poor had a broken ankle. He's being dragged up onto yeah. the dance floor. No time for that. No time for a broken ankle. <laughs> yeah, no, there'll be lots of dancers there. And and I know the dancers over the years have cottoned on to the fact that they have had a, a dance floor. And, you know, you, d- you don't have to be a dancer to enjoy watching the outfits and mm. people getting out there and jiving and rocking rolls. So yeah. it's, yeah, that's a whole it nother facet. It certainly creates a, a, an atmosphere, not mm. to mention the display of wonderful cars. And that's at the Trinity Playing Fields in Manning. And on that note, I have another announcement. Eddie has stated that he will have an entry in the car show next year. The oh. Valiant, the Valiant. Is going to get a makeover. What colour is the Valiant? Will... Tell me it's purple. No. Oh. No, it's, oh, it's got a special white name and it's got a black vinyl roof. Okay. And it was involved in an accident like 30 years ago and he got the offer to, to buy it. And I said, well, you're not buying it unless you fix it up. Yeah. He paid about $600 for. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it sat in the workshop, much to my disgust. Yeah. But, this, yeah, this it's, tends to happen. It's original and it'll be at the Curtain Car Show next year. Mark my words. Well, that's exciting. I went to the York Car Show last weekend, last Sunday, and that was a terrific day. Oh. And the cars that you see and the paintwork and the colours and it's just incredible trucks through to buses through to come what may and you know mr selkirk who was a manual arts teacher at crean high school well your memory of all of that is greater than i know but Mm. they were at um the lunch a couple of years ago radiothon lunch they're coming to the high tea i saw their name on the list oh are they and last year they had the caravan they're from jinjin or somewhere yeah camper Mm. van um, in the show and and it's amazing so mm. hopefully they'll be there tomorrow as well I have no doubt that they will be mm. now we do have free lines 94841927 very happy to take your calls this morning and of course our special guest in the studio with us this morning historian John Visca and we're talking about a beautiful book that's just been released called Historic Gardens of Perth so John I on a personal note you said there's they've only got oil paintings of Hyde Park. Um, 
Yeah, Hyde Park was established in 1897. It was actually called Third Swamp Reserve. <laughs> yeah, Third because Swamp it was Reserve. a swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And in 1897, it was um, gazetted. And then in, I think it was about 1899, they renamed it Hyde Park. T- sorry, tell me, what does gazetted mean? Uh, officially, it was gazetted. So therefore, in the government gazette, it, it um, described it and... And interestingly, too, the, for, uh, the forest government made that a crown grant to the city of Perth, which meant there could it was purely for recreational purposes. Um, and that's how on a gazette, so they couldn't sell it. it, it that's it was a gift, if you like, from mm-hmm. that government, as such. So there's very few illustrations of its early days. And a while ago, we found out that there was an oil painting done in 1904 of Hyde Park Mm. and it actually shows the northern part of the park and it shows that that section had been cleared but it had not been developed. So Hyde Park, and it's in our book, actually started from the southern side, few acres every year it was developed, not like today when there's just one big overall landscape design and it's uh, done in one hit. So bit by bit. So the front of Hyde Park was Glendower Street and the fountain was at the entrance at Lake Street and Palmerston Street was the other entrance. So the park bit by bit. So this fo- this painting actually showed that the northern part, which is the Vincent Street yeah. frontage today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm had been cleared of the undergrowth, but all the millilucas, all the paper barks had all been left. Wow. And it shows quite clearly. A lot of people think that it was just clear felled, the whole of the park, and they made Built this, it. which mm. was totally incorrect. incorrect. And that all comes from our research, a documentary search, which is very, very important. And that's what our book's about. So underlying research, arch- archival information, um, photographs, all of that gives the true picture. I wonder if any of our listeners out there have got in their records photographs from, you know, family photographs I'm from sure. back in the day. You you don't always realise it, do you? But at, at our age, like initially we probably weren't interested in history, but as we get older and we end up more with, relevant. you know, mm. a collection of our parents... We, we start to discover things. I haven't looked at all the slides I've got. I've looked at a lot. But those those sorts of things will show evidence of what Kings Park was like, yep. um, the cityscape, the outlook. Yeah, it's, it becomes very important. And re- recreational space was very, very important. And it was only till the latter part of the 19th century, 1890s, that there was enough money coming from gold in the public purse. That even though... Kings Park, all of those had been gazetted. It was not until that latter part that they actually started to be developed. World Square, uh, Russell Square, um, Queen's Gardens, all of those are very late comers, and that's the legacy that we have from the gold, which we then explore in our book and the second chapter, which is Convicts to Gold. Wow. Mm. Fascinating. It will be a brilliant read. Very, yeah, very. As I say, very nostalgic, very informative, and at our age, Faye, I think really. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, what do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, the other thing that that resonates with me is I, I've got collections of things. I've just become this hub, and I felt that it was very important for me to preserve what I have, not to destroy what I have. Like I said, I've got these paintings, 
but what am I going to do with them? The kids don't want them. Mm. Like, if they're of some importance, I need to start thinking about where they can go. Well, Mm. just get back to the book. We contacted the local history centres of um, areas where, where we took examples from, and they actually had good collections. So City of Vincent actually has a good photographic archive of Hyde Park. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of early ones, but certainly from the 1930s mm. onwards of people picnicking in the park. And it was essentially a tree park, not lots of garden beds, and it still is today. The trees are the, the big statement in Hyde Park. Very much so. And what, what, Nate, tell us about some other special parks in, in Perth. Um, that are highlighted. Well, interestingly, everyone says, and I find many people say, Perth doesn't have historic gardens because they're not on the grand scale that you see in the East Coast. Mm. And they say, well, give me an example of a historic garden. And I say, Cottesloe Civic Centre. And they say, why? I said, well, it was called Overton Lodge. It was laid out in the late 19th century by a judge. Um, All the balustrading, all of that on a grand scale. And then it was bought in the 1930s by Claude de Banales, who made money out of gold. Mm-hmm. And he did what we call a Spanish makeover, Spanish mission makeover. And that garden, it, it's in the public domain. It's now for said um, Cottesloe uh, Civic Centre. But most people don't realise it goes right back and very typical of what the bigger gardens that a wealthy person laid out. Yeah. And it's in the public domain and it's now a mature garden. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly as uh, probably at the height but you have uh, the restored pavilion there used to be a tennis courts there there's still the rose garden there were vegetable gardens typical of what you saw in Perth of that what we call that federation period and we cover that in the book plus restoration work that's been done there through heritage grants Mm. on the hard landscape. About Queen's Park, no one talks of that very often. It's in in there as well. Queen's Gardens, mm. yes, absolutely fantastic. Starts life as a clay pit, the brick fields, yeah, where they mined the clay for the buildings in Perth. We're going back to the eighteen fifties. Once they'd mined the clay, they just when I say they, the the business people, uh, the pits started to fill up with water. It was a health hazard. And once again, in the late 1890s, the city of Perth went to the forest government and said, we want to uh, beautify this. And they got money for it. And they called it Brickfields Reserve because mm. that's what it was. They got from the eastern states of Mr. Farris, and we're talking 1890s, who was a specialist in artificial rock work. And he constructed in Queen's Gardens a grotto that you could walk into with stalactites and it was fantastic and even it had trickling water and um, it was on the Hay Street side Mm. of of Queen's Gardens. Then, because it was an artificial cavern, um, it must have collapsed because eventually there was no mention of it anymore. And in um, 18, sorry, 1929, to celebrate the centenary of Western Australia, the, the Rotary organised through the Children of Perth a collection to buy a facsimile of Peter Pan's statue in Kensington Gardens. And it arrived in Perth and it was going to go into Kings Park and the Kings Park board couldn't decide was it going to be at the entrance and the statue had arrived. Rotary said, the statue's here. Okay, we'll put it in Queen's Gardens as a temporary measure. And in the newspaper the next day, 
magically this Peter Pan statue had just appeared and there were photographs of young children doing ring a ring of rosies about it. Kings Park couldn't make up its mind. So in the end, they said one of the um, requirements was that it had to be near water, just like in Kensington Gardens. Mm. And Queen's Gardens had, had the ornamental ponds there. Mm. And so the only area that they could put it in was... Uh, where the artificial uh, grotto was, which I said had collapsed and it was all cleared, and the statue today is where the entrance to the grotto was. And officially it was all open, sorry, um, Queen's Gardens by Alexander Forrest. And one of the descriptions talks about the trickling water in the grotto itself. And they used to light up the gardens at night with a little fairy lights. They were just little floating wicks. And the Lord Mayors used to have their afternoon tea parties there as well. Wow. I just love that. Thank you. I, I want to go to Queen's Gardens I now. And, do you do tours, John? Um, yes, I've done a few. Matter of fact, I've done a presentation called The Lost Grottos of oh, Queen's Gardens, okay. where visually I actually show where they were oh. from the outside. We've never found a photograph of inside, but written descriptions describe Mr. Farris, a specialist in making out of cement all these stalactites and creating artificial caves. Just absolutely wow. fascinating. Well, it is, because I certainly never knew that 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 had happened. And someone has asked uh, where they can get the book again, John, and, and, and asking, is it available now? Well, yes, it is. And yes, I'll give you some details. Give us some details. Thanks for that. Now, the book is $50. Um, I will leave my uh, details with there and they can then contact and I'll give them those. Okay. But we have a website, gardenhistorysociety.org.au and when you go onto that, you'll actually see a section on publications. And when you um, click onto that, it brings up what you can buy through our website and you will see our Historic Gardens of Perth there. So um, gardenhistorysociety.org.au yeah, That's it, gardenhistorysociety.org.au okay. yep. um, It is $50. Yep. Yep. If you're going to buy it uh, through the post, we add an extra $10. But I'll... They can get my name and contact afterwards because I do have ones that they can get from me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for adding that in. All right. We appreciate it. Now, we've had a few emails. We've got a lovely one here from uh, Elaine of Rockingham. She sent in this gorgeous uh, picture of her flowering calathea. And the flowers are those little furry babes at the bottom there and she just was very surprised because she didn't know they threw out a flower like that and I, I'm a big fan of calatheas as well Elaine I well do she love thought them. her husband was playing a her. trick she on went her. to put a finger in the dirt to see if it was dry and she's like oh come on <laughs> <laughs> so we appreciate that and also thanks very much to Pamela of, of Morley, she wrote in in regard to saying, well done, Ray, on retiring. And I, I think you're a woman after my own heart, Pamela. I agree with all you're saying where it took her about two seconds to get used to being retired. <laughs> so many people say, oh, you'll be get bored. And I'm thinking, I smile and I go, uh, no, I won't. You know, I think women are different. We don't define ourselves through our work. Uh, we've always know there's so many other things to do, whereas men can be different. Men, sometimes when they retire, they think, yeah, 
They don't, now not what? me. Now what? No, not Produce you. Produce the book. <laughs> got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Not. My trouble is I'm like you, Pamela. I've got, I, I was thinking this morning, do I start inside the house or outside the house? And I was having this debate in the shower this morning and I thought, <laughs> outside sounds good to me. <laughs> Otherwise I'll go crazy. All right. I, we do need to go to a break. And when we return, you're going to cover some more emails? Just one, yes. Okay, beautiful. 100.1 Goodness me, and we are back in deep in conversation with John Visco. We've just gone back through history. You're in your element, aren't you? Oh, I absolutely am. I've got so much to say to John. And uh, Gary of Yanship called in and he wants to know if John can tell us more about the Yanship National Park in the 30s, 40s and 50s. But just before you do... have work to do okay you need to get ready for the paris paris ultimate spring cleaning sale enjoy massive savings on a wide range of flooring options including carpet hybrid laminates and vinyls download their new bella spring magazine at pariscarpets.com.au with free installation and free underlay paris have got you covered T's and C's apply. Parry's now have eight convenient locations. So if you're thinking flooring, think Parry's. See website for details. Station sponsor. Okay, you can carry so on. So Yanship, yes. Absolutely fascinating. And we go back to the 1930s and a man by the name of Louis Shapcott that most people won't know. We do feature him in our book once again. Mm-hmm. He uh, was an undersecretary to... I think five premiers, and Forrest was one of them. But in the 1930s, his baby, if you like, was Yanship. And with unemployed people, they were utilised to actually work developing it. We talk about a pleasure garden, a garden that is um, developed more for pleasure, not for growing food. And so that was a big project. And Louis Shapcott actually uh, was with the State Gardens Board. He was Mm. a one-man person and so very hard to find information but Mm. he put a lot of energy into um, um, Yanship a lot of that rock work that still exists was all part of getting people employed off the doll and doing the work. So that's the legacy of, of that. So it's actually quite fascinating from that period and very mm. typical the rock work that what people expected in, in a public um, park or a pleasure garden. Mm. I like the sound of that, a pleasure garden. (laughs) Ray, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to because I'm just bursting. I was conceived at the Yanship Inn. (laughs) How do you know? You were told. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Well, you had to get that out, didn't you? Mum and Dad. So it all just fits. The pleasure garden. Start a family. That's where you were made. Yeah. Goodness me. Made at the Yanship Inn. Sorry, but I just couldn't sit here. Well, especially since my birthday will be in a couple of weeks. You'll have to go. You'll have to. It'll be very nostalgic for you to go there, won't it? Well, no, not really. But we we used to picnic there, you know. Sundays were free in Perth when we were growing up. There weren't events everywhere that you had to pay for. So they're having a picnic? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think they were that that night. Um, but you, you'd pack a thermos and the cane basket and Nana would That's bake right. and off we would go and the, the picnic blanket would come out and 
Yeah, there were no seatbelts in the cars. Oh, no. And, and Grandad had the anodised cups yeah. that all went into the vinyl zipper. Oh, you know, it's just so retro, isn't it? It is. And it's all back. I know. It's all back. Um, just going back to Yanchip, there is um, Locke McNess, and a lot of people do not know that's McNess, Charles McNess, who became Sir Charles McNess in the 1930s, went to the state government and said, I'm concerned about the unemployed people. I would like to give some money to actually employ them. And they thought he was joking, but eventually he persisted, and that money uh, helped to employ some of those people. Mm. And there used to be, in um, Stirling Gardens, before they built the, the council house, a commemorative seat and fountain to Charles McNess, probably our um, important philanthropist. When they redeveloped and built the new council house, they shifted that memorial up to... Uh, which is now called Florist Hummerston Reserve. And that used to be called the Mount Street Reserve, which is in our book once again, a statue of Alexander Forrest mm. and typical planting just in that triangular section. So if people go up there, they will actually see at the back of that garden the commemorative fountain and a plaque about the importance of Sir Charles McNess helping once the unemployed. And so Louis mm. Shapcott... Charles McNess, very important in the 1930s, employing people. Mm, no, that's a very, very good story. Thank you. Now we're heading across to Cardinia. David, hi. Hi, how are you? Okay. Um, I'd just like to talk about uh, fruit fly traps. For sure. The, the quick and easiest way to make one is to get a plastic bottle, a uh, fruit uh, soft drink bottle, cut a couple of holes in the side about a third of the way down, and in the bottom, you put some apple cider vinegar and a couple of drops of dishwashing liquid. The science behind it is the dishwashing liquid breaks down the surface tension of the apple cider vinegar. The apple cider vinegar attracts the fruit flies and they can't land and so they sink and drown. Very good. That's a nice, easy one. And the reason that the holes are partway up the bottle is so that once they enter, they, can't get out. they, they fly they up, can't but the holes are not there. up at the top. Yep. I have yeah. some. I, I, bought, I, I bought a lot of the commercial ones and threw away the packets and put that in the bottom. And um, the fruit flies don't care whether you buy the cheap apple cider vinegar or not. <laughs> it's all about catching them, isn't it, David? Can yeah. I just add here, I've yeah. actually got some late, ni- late 19th century glass ones oh. that look like flying saucers yeah. without a bottom in it, up, upturned bottom. And that's how they used to do it. Tie it up. They're out of clear glass. Uh, you put a little a cap on the top. They're hung it in your fruit trees. And they approach it from underneath, underneath, attracted, could get out and eventually. So the similar principle, and of course being made of glass, the, there's not a lot yeah. around. But I've got yeah. a few in my collection. Oh, lovely. So they don't have the intelligence oh, to go back down the way they came in. They just go... Well, if they do, yeah. they land and they're consumed in the mm. liquid. Mm. Oh, no, I was yeah, talking about the one John... It's only a couple of drops of dishwashing liquid, yeah. not, you know, a full squirt, just a couple of drops. It just breaks the tension. It, it spreads like oil on water. You put a couple of drops of oil on water and you see it spread. Yep, yep. And the Dishwashing liquid does the same thing. I used to buy the commercial ones from Bunnings and throw away the packets. But um, and David, this I, I obviously works for you. Oh, I can't guarantee how far it works. I used to hang a couple. We had lemons and oranges and mandarins, and I used to hang a couple in each tree. And every couple of weeks, they'd 
you know, there'd be half an inch. You only put about half an inch of mm. um, apple cider vinegar in the bottom, just a little bit. And I used to empty them every couple of weeks and I'd just, they'd be, you know, the bottom would be just soaked with fruit flies. Mm-hmm. Oh, good on you, David. Thank you very much. Everyone needs to be doing it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they do. It gets rid of them. <laughs> yep. Good on you, David. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank okay, you. bye. And let's go to Craigie. I think this is Terry. You rang earlier, didn't you, Terry? Yes, I did. I'm sorry for uh, having to leave you, but I had to go. But anyway, yeah. Um, couple of, I've got a ponytail palm in, in my backyard. It's quite big. Um, I've got a couple of... I got some seeds off it a year or so ago, maybe, when it flowered. And I, I've never germinated seeds. And I was going to have a crack at trying to grow some. What do I do and how do I go about it? Hmm. I would suspect that now is probably a good time and um, seed raising mix is all you need because, John, I probably learnt this from you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to a TAFE lesson. The seed has everything it needs. It's just waiting for the right conditions for dormancy to break. So that will be moisture and, and temperature. That's correct. And... The and time, and time. A lot of those, you have to wait. It, it really is a, a time factor. Allow the water to penetrate. But what a fantastic flowering season this year with Bocanias. They were just spectacular. Mm. Oh, sh- sure were. And I think the pink ones are the females and the creamy ones are the males, I, right. as I understand it. Yeah. Um, you could, if you want, create a, a cloche, so uh, something like a two-litre soft drink bottle with the bottom cut out of it, put over the top of a pot with a seed-raising mix. That will help maintain the humidity and just leave it and they'll they'll come up when they're ready. Um, so so if, yeah. if I was like a soothing tray or whatever and yes. then just put that, that mix in it and then just pop them in and go from there. Yep, yep. Easy peasy. Do I need to have them in the sun or in part shade just while they're doing their thing? In light, So you don't want them to be drowned. Um, Yeah, just a a warm position with bright light. What's the shelf life of the seeds? That one, I don't know. We'll throw that to John, our researcher. Uh, He can get to the bottom of that for you. Oh, okay. No worries. (laughs) Should be a while, shouldn't it? Well, Well, they're pretty hard to see. They're quite big. Um, And the other thing is, has it been pollinated? Are, are they viable? Mm. I moved in this house 22 years ago and there's this big monster in the corner and it has these big spiky flowers every year or so and uh, they are pink. Um, I don't know if it's been pollinated. But you see, I've, I've not known any to pop up in my garden. So well, I, I wonder. All right, we'll check with when John and get back here, to this. When I moved in here, um, I think maybe... I just stumbled across a seedling that I, I gave to a friend. I found like over two dozen scattered in oh, the gutters okay. and in the plants. I dug them out, raised them, handed them out, and I've had a few over the years that I've found in other pots outside, dug them out and raised them. And um, I just one year I saved all the seeds that were scattered all over the ground, all over oh. the pavers. And uh, I just I forgot all about them until the other day. And I just wondered, oh, I wonder if I should try and maybe grow some of these. All right, we'll, I, we'll check with yeah. John for you. Okay. Okay. Just keep on listening to your program and you'll tell me? Yes, we will we'll endeavour to. Awesome. Thank you, girls. Okay. Thanks, Terry. Right. Bye. Bye.
Now, today, there is a native plant market on at Trillion Trees. Okay, so that is on right now till 1pm. Thousands of WA native trees, ground covers, shrubs, sedges and more. A lot of tube stock and packs. You know, you can buy a pack of six mixed species. This is happening at Trillion Trees Native Nursery, Lot 2, Stirling Crescent, which is the corner of Amherst Road in Hazelmeal. So if you need more information, give us a call and we can repeat those details and to you. on this weekend, the Mills yeah. Garden is open in Beldivis today and tomorrow. It's with Open Gardens WA. Come visit a lovely large rural garden with ducks and turtles, crafts, refreshments, honey and pony rides. Uh, it, it's an outstanding garden. They missed out last year because they got COVID. Um, yeah. But I understand uh, they've built a barn. The gardens are spectacular, parkland style. There's, yeah, It's just beautiful. So pre- be prepared to go and have a picnic on the lawn if you like. Yeah, it sounds gorgeous. Mm. We spoke to them last week. We did. And... Jeannie has sent us in an email and it says a saying for gardeners, gardening is cheaper than therapy unless your spouse adds up the receipts. Oh, no, you get rid of those. Get rid of those yep, receipts. Yeah, hide the evidence, no. I always say. Mm-hmm. Mm. Talking about trees, um, back to the book, we've got a section on street trees. Uh-huh. The history of street tree planting in um, in Perth as such. And... A lot of people wouldn't realise where Claysbrook Cove is today. Mm. Claysbrook was a much was more of a creek, and in the eighteen seventies, a big public park called Victoria Park, mm. before the Victoria Park we know today was established as a pleasure garden. Mm. It was too far out of town, and so eventually it sort of didn't wasn't successful. Mm. But when the city of Perth established a city gardener in the late 1890s that became the Trafalgar Road nurseries to Mm. grow all the plants that went into the city's parks Queen's Gardens and they also got from the state nursery in Hamill seedling trees grew them on and then planted them in the city of Perth as well so very very important and there's a chapter a section on that of Victoria Park there was a um, a lovely little caretaker's cottage there. They oh, were, I love that. They, uh, there were still used to be remnant mulberries that they planted as part of a mulberry plantation mm. for a silkworm industry, all part of the garden history of Perth. And when were those trees planted, roughly? Oh. It would depend. Well, the mulberries were planted in the 1870s. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um Descriptions of the park, it wasn't particularly well developed, yeah. such but 1890s uh, was certainly when the city of Perth had their nursery there, and there are still some remnant trees in what's called now um, Victoria Gardens that go right back to when the nursery was there in the 1890s. Mm, wow, I mean, we're in awe of where we are right now. Imagine in another 50, 100 years' time. Mm. All right, let's go out to Kingsley. We're talking about ponytails. Steve, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks. My query is in regards to um, uh, the ponytail bulb. I had a um, ponytail um, which was um, growing close to a wall. So what I decided to do was cut 
a section um, from the bulb right away from the wall so that, you know, um, and I cut it down as far as I could go down underneath the ground so that it wouldn't and encroach on the wall because I've heard in regards to the bulbs could crack walls. Yes. <laughs> so w- 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 will the ponytail survive? I'm sure it will survive and heal itself. So uh, am I right in thinking you've just taken a slither down to reduce oh, yeah, the size oh, of the bulb? Oh, yeah, yeah, a big a big slither. Mm. Depending on how much damage you've done and possibly the time that you did it and whether, like with the the cold and wet that we've had recently, if you had done that, say, five weeks ago, it may have suffered and got rot in it. Um, oh, I only did it last weekend. Okay. Um, uh, what's done is done. It may heal itself and move forward or it may you may have opened it up to rot and fungus. So oh, it'll be... Is that right? Mm. Yeah. It's a, so to do that, because my son's got the same problem, so it would be best to do it in summer then. It, it would be, but because... The plant is in the wrong place. You you might be yeah. better off to just, you know, do the job properly, dig it out. They make amazing specimens. They're incredible with their age, um, just beautiful specimens in a single pot on their own, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I'd say I've got... I've got a number of uh, ponytails and I've got some in the garden which are over 30 years old. Mm. They're special, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, so they're, they're huge plants. But I, when I planted this one, and I, you know, it was only a baby when I planted it. And of course, as it's grown, and I, I'm looking at it getting closer and closer to the wall, and I thought, well, I can I take take the whole lot out, or can I um, just suddenly cut a sliver out of it? You know, because um, with all those palms, whether it's cocos and all that, that. The, the systems are quite soft, you know, the wood's quite soft so that, yep. you know, that you can can uh, cut into them. And I thought, well, I might experiment, but we'll just have to wait and see in regards to, you know, like you say, whether it's um, whether a fungus mm. get into it or not. If it was mine and it was in the wrong place, I would go to the trouble of digging it up and putting it somewhere more appropriate rather than damage the plant. Yeah, yeah. But okay, yeah, Dad, good we... luck anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks very much call. for your advice. Okay, Bye. Stu. All right, we're going to a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Jean and Jeanette. Tattoo Radio. And we are back with about 15 minutes of the program left. So get your calls in between now and 10 a.m. And, of course, our special guest historian, John Visca, in the studio with us, giving us this the most amazing insight to his new book, uh, Historic Gardens of Perth. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful book, and uh, it's been fascinating listening to you, John. We've really appreciated having you here. Heading out to Bentley now, we're chatting with Jean. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I've been enjoying the uh, the bit about the garden, especially Queen's Garden. Yeah. Uh, just rang to say uh, if you're making uh, fruit fly traps, to be sure not to make the holes too big because I made some a few years ago and hung them up 
and I didn't um, check for a few days. And when I looked, I had 13 little dead skinks in my fruit pot. Because they were too big and they could go in there. Thank you for that. Yeah, it only needs to be just big enough for the fruit fly. Yes. And how big would that be? How big would that be, do you think? Um, Well, when I did it, I heated up a cake skewer on the flame on the stove and just poked it through the plastic bottle and and just wiggled it around Mm. until I thought it was good enough. Not for a skin to get in. Well, and then I hung them, like I used the water bottles, Mm. like... 400 mil, I think, hung them with string on the tree. So I I don't know that the skinks would have come for it. Mm. But no, not not very big. Big enough for the fruit flies. Um, Five five millimetre, I think, would be enough. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, Jean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. And we're heading to Cardinia. We're talking about azaleas. Jeanette, good morning. Yes, I've had a beautiful display from my azaleas, but now I think I've got petal blight now. Some years ago, I used to be able to get a tablet to put underneath, and it lasted for a period of time, but I haven't been able to source them for this lot. All of a sudden, they've just gone to mush. Oh, and I guess it's weather-related too because of the rain that we've had, the rain and the wind, and... Yeah, whether it is or not, certainly the weather would have contributed to the state of your azaleas right now, Jeanette. Um, um, yes, but, it, you know, normally with azaleas you can pick them and they will last as a cut flower inside for like three weeks. They're brilliant for that. But these, even when you pick them and they look fine, they're only lasting a few days and they're going to mush as well. Okay. So okay. I think I've definitely got... I think it's called petal blight, isn't it? Yes, yes. It could be. John, do you know? No, and I'm not sure of a tablet. I know there were Comfidor tablets, um, but they're insecticide, I think, more than fungicide. So we'll get John to do some research and see what he can come up with as a solution. I mean, I think Mancozeb would be one of the sprays that you could use. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get John to look into this a little bit further for you, Jeanette. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, bye. Cheers for that. All right, let me see. Yes, we can do this. Uh, we're heading to Mundaring. Margaret, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hi, hi, I'd Margaret. Like to, thank you very much for inviting John. I'd like to say thank you to John for his time to come and talk to us about this fascinating subject yes it's very nice to hear about the origins of the gardens around Perth mm. and I just like to add a comment if I may about photographs to the, all the listeners please label your photos <laughs> good message Margaret You'd, you'd be surprised how many grandchildren nowadays are getting interested in their roots and want to know about their forefathers and their ancestors. And if the photographs are not labelled, when you pass them on, they get thrown out. Mm. Because they don't know who the people are. Well, and they... 
they <coughs> they sad. go to all these decluttering websites and next minute they're turfed, aren't they? Yeah, I'm, I must admit, I'm thinking about where all my treasures and collections need to go because they're becoming historic yeah. now. That's right, because but if the photos are not labelled, the, the uh, people who've inherited them in your family will throw them out because they don't know who the people are, and mm. it's very sad. This, we're losing so much history. Good point, Margaret. Yes, so thank you very much, John. It's been a fascinating subject. Thank you very much. And just on photographs, um, I've looked at a lot of historic photographs trying to identify the plants mm. and, and the localities. And you get a, an interesting picture of what was being grown in Perth Gardens by, once again, and as you said, if there was a, a label at the back or a date, that would certainly help. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Now, John, can you tell us Thanks, about Margaret. Thanks, Thanks, Margaret. Margaret. Some, some of the plants that were around, um, some of the ones that have survived, and and what are good for gardens today? I mean, conservatories, are they a thing that's coming back now? They certainly are. But if I could refer back to the book, at the back of the book itself is a plant appendix. And we have listed plants that through research we knew were being grown in Perth at our historical periods that we've selected um, and they've come through looking at old newspapers and identification as mm. such and most of those are actually what we'd call tough water-wise plants today. Very early on in the piece that realised that Perth having a Mediterranean climate a lot of the cool, cool climate uh, fruit trees didn't do particularly well. No. So Gallup down at Gallup House had a banana grove he won prize in the 1850s for his bananas. Mm -hmm. We had olives in uh, by 1830, and one of the oldest olive trees is still at Government House, planted in that period. And they were all the tough plants. Pines, pine trees that came from the west coast of America or Mediterranean, all of those were the plants that were, the, were growing. And said, in the back of the book, there's pages on the plant appendix, trees, shrubs, perennials of what was actually uh, being grown of the period. And we hope this book also will be used by heritage people who are looking for what were the plants of the period. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> having a flashback because... Elverstoke, I know, is one of the historic properties that I learnt from you. And it wasn't long after that that I discovered that's part of my horticultural ancestry. And yesterday um, I was looking at a photo taken of an olive tree at Elverstoke. Yes. That was done many years ago when we had a visit there. And that dates to about 1842. It yep. is the biggest olive tree I have ever seen. Hmm. And there is a pear tree as well. And I, I came away after a visit there saying my family tree has more branches than the pear tree at Elverstoke. So oh, just a bit of nothingness there. All right, guys, we shall return. And on the other side of this, I'm going to give away a $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. Stay tuned. Curtain Radio. We are back. Busy morning on Let's Talk Gardening. I'm going to give away a $75 gift voucher. From Bigger Trees, compliments of our dear friend Kerry. Now, there's a lot happening at Bigger Trees. 
and you won't know which way to turn to spend your $75 gift voucher. The immaculate and massive nursery is ever evolving with new stock arriving each week and they certainly have a huge range to select from. For big plants and for little plants, you must check out biggertrees.com.au. They also deliver across the metro area and you can also browse their Facebook page for updates. Now, you must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. The question is, in 1969, Peter Sarsted sang, I'll buy you one more frozen... What? In 1969, Peter Sarsted sang, I'll buy you one more frozen. And then after that, it says on this fantastic day. So we need the answer to that question. 94841927. And we're going, we're talking cockroaches in the compost. Carolyn, good morning. Good morning. How can we help you, Carolyn? Um, Well, I'm breeding cockroaches in my compost bin and I don't know how to get rid of them. Okay, what what are you putting in your compost bin? Uh, just about everything: lawn clippings, and papers, food scraps, um, whatever uh, goes into a compost bin. Okay, yep, yep, good. I suspect that maybe there's an imbalance of food scraps in there, and they're possibly coming into that. Are you mixing it up really well? Yes, I aerate it regularly. Okay, and is it? well watered with a top on it yes yeah, it's very yes yeah it's one of those old black ones that you used to get with the top on it right and it is very moist wet um yeah i it is something that happens i'm not sure how you can avoid it i like i said i think it's the food scraps that are probably bringing them in if you were to hold off on that um, maybe dig them into the ground separately and just give it time to break down. That may help. Um, cockroaches in the compost are probably not the worst thing that you could have there. And I'm sure that lizards and or birds, if you opened it up, would sort of manage them. Um, further than that, I, I have to go back to my books and, and double check if there's something else that you can do. But That'll be it for now. Mix it up really well, put a lid on it, um, and just hold off on the food scraps. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Carolyn. Thanks, Carolyn. And Let's Talk Gardening was sponsored today by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more, search Garden in a Bag. So getting back to the petal blight, Ray, um, yes, applying a fungicide and maybe doing that repeatedly every 10 to 14 days while the weather is moist and rainy mm. because that is what's supporting the pathogens. You can apply fresh organic compost underneath the plant so you're maintaining hygiene. Remove the the petals and buds, uh, but you need to spray at bud burst. Now, mancozeb is one of the fungicides available there will be if you go to your local nursery or even check out your shed and have a look at um what you've got already yeah Mm -hmm. and and check and follow the label now ponytail palm i i have a lot of information here but 
I can't decipher that at the minute, so we might have to come back to that. We were looking at pollination and yeah. also viability of the seed. Yes. And tell me, John, how long was this book in the making? <clears throat> well, in 2020, as I said, our national body um, said, here's a grant to think of a project. Yeah. So this was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So we, we put forward and... It wasn't a problem, but how do you take exhibition panels that are done in a portrait format and then put it into a book form? Mm -hmm. We mapped out how we would have the book, and it probably took about three years on and off. We did it voluntarily. And uh, COVID, we had to zoom in with – there was a co editor Lisa Williams and many times we had to zoom in with the designer who was in 2J um, all that and ironing out all the details Mm. and we also put a forward and an afterward to bookend it if you like and we also had the beginning of every chapter a historical overview that relates to the history of Perth itself what was happening and so I said the other part with the the style of the gardens at that period. So all of that, and because we had contributing authors, I wrote it, but we also invited some other members, mm. and we've got their autobiographies at the back. We had to go through and make sure it was consistent because there were certain, not a difference in writing styles, but some used more commas. Sure. So yeah, that took so all many. the time, the mm, editing process yeah. itself. Got you. Got you. Okay, brilliant. All right. Now, we do have a winner for our Bigger Trees gift voucher, Jeannie of Beachborough. Good on you. Uh, That voucher will make its way to you this week. The question was, in 1969, Peter Sarsted sang, I'll buy you one more frozen. And, of course, the answer is, I'll buy you one more frozen orange juice. And the song is called Frozen Orange Juice. So very clever of you, Jeannie. Congratulations and thanks for playing with us uh let me see we're talking about we don't think i actually know we're going to have to answer this one off air we are out of time so Dwayne, uh i will put you back to no actually we will take your call off air won't we it's about weed control so stay with us and when we get off air uh faye will have a chat with you so thank you very much john it's been a blast of a morning my goodness so much information thank you very I'd much i'd like to buy that book right there can i yes you certainly can okay <laughs> deal brought, done I'm we're going to do a deal copies. off air <laughs> all right thank you so much and thanking jill Flores this morning. She is a blast, that girl. She is uh, so on it. That's what happens when you're young, of course. She's uh, <laughs> she's, she's got it all going on. Thank you very much. And to our very own John Glidden and Faye Akaro. My garden isn't for the morning is. No single sort of garden suits everyone. Shut your eyes and dream of the garden you'd most love. Then open your eyes and start planting because loved gardens flourish. Boring gardens are just hard work. Think about that one. Classic 60s are next with our Jim Crinan. Happy gardening, everyone. Catch you next week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.